Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Everybody, this morning we'll be reading in Luke 11, looking at verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I uh, asked uh, some friends for help yesterday. They moved a piano for me, and uh, which was really great. I, another friend in this in this room, also a neighbor, helped me with Christmas lights. Right, for just asking and receiving help. It's it's uh, a way we have to live in the world. But would you admit sometimes awkward? Right, sometimes. Right, asking for help can be. Um, there's just a lot of psychology, I think, wrapped up in it. So um, we're going to hold that feeling uh, in front of mind this morning. Uh, I've mentioned before that I'm a Wendell Berry fan, and he's written all sorts of things, uh, but a collection of, of, of fiction novels about a fictional community, a rural community uh, in uh, Port William, Kentucky, and uh, just a beautiful cast of characters. One of the stories in particular uh, begins this way. It's called Thicker Than Liquor is the name of the story, Thicker Than Liquor. And uh, it's in his collection of shorter stories called The Wild Birds. And this is how he begins. A a main character in this, uh, his name is Wheeler Catlett. When the phone rang, Wheeler Catlett was thinking about his future. Not that he knew much about it. The future was going to surprise him, as it had surprised all his mothers and fathers before him. But he had hopes, right? The future He's thinking about the future. was going to surprise him. Not that he knew much about it, right? It was going to surprise him as it had always surprised everyone before him. But he had hopes. I I wonder if that's not a characterization of sort of our feeling of life on the road with Jesus. We come with hopes and expectations, anticipations about what the future and our future personal will look like, the future broad, sort of the world will, will look like, and, and, and as it has with uh, everyone before us, it will be a surprise, right? We, 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 as much as we want to control and know what will sort of open up on the road in front of us, we will not. We can prognosticate and sort of anticipate and predict, but there is an element of sort of the ups and downs, the surprises of uh, the future. And, and I think that feeling of follows us in our faith as well. We, we take that same experience into life on the road with, with Jesus. 
And we read it this, this morning, uh, this beautiful passage uh, of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' disciples approach him. They're like, we've seen John spend time with his disciples, and he's teaching them how to pray. And at this point in Luke's gospel, we've seen Jesus pray a lot. Jesus, we've seen you pray a lot. So can you, like, teach us the way he uh, taught them? And so we get this moment where Jesus instructs them. And we spent a couple of years ago on the Lord's Prayer from Matthew's gospel. So this morning, uh, rather than sort of walk through the, the, the contents of the prayer, I want us to kind of zoom out a little bit and consider its context, specifically the two stories Jesus tells us after the Lord's Prayer. He gives us a couple of examples, which interestingly have to do with asking uh, for help. Um, I, I think sometimes on, on this road of uh, sort of navigating life and trying to anticipate the surprises, the things we hope for, the things that are elusive and out of our grasp, like what we want for that is a really clear map, right? We, we, want, we want a kind of instruction manual. Like that's, that's what we want. Do you guys remember, I was chatting with uh, uh, one of the guys that helped me move the piano yesterday. We were talking about, uh, he had spent some time in Atlanta, which again from Georgia, and he's like, man, used to drive me nuts. You're riding around every other street is some variation of Peachtree Street, right? It's Peachtree Northeast and Southwest and Peachtree Boulevard and Peachtree Lane. I mean, it's, and he's like pre-Google Maps, you know. I don't, do you guys remember, you guys are some too young probably, like printing sort of MapQuest directions and you're like, turn left, you know, and you're trying to drive and read the paper, like, oh, page three, right? Like, uh, and it's just, you know, a whole row of peach trees, right? What, what we want, what we, what we long for is, is, a, is a kind of manual. God, help me anticipate uh, just kind of see the way forward here. And interestingly, what Jesus does in this moment, I think we want that in prayer particularly, is, he, is uh, as we'll see in our reading this morning, he draws us into something slightly uh, different. Uh, because I think he sort of pushes against this ache in our hearts for a manual. Right? Just tell me how to do it and how to do it well. Uh, and I'll be okay. And we see that here because I think a lot of times we read this uh, story. So Jesus says, pray like this. Let me give you some help. And then he tells two stories. One is, you know, a neighbor wakes up a friend in the middle of the night. I need some bread. And uh, I need some bread, please, right? I have, un I have unexpected guests myself. Please, I know I'm an interruption. You're all in one room sleeping in the family. Let me, you know, he tells this story. And Jesus is like, what's going on there? What happens? And then he tells a second one, which we'll consider in a moment, you know. Uh, what father, if the, you know, the parent, if the child asks for uh, bread or, you know, an egg, gives him a serpent? Strange things, right? But okay, we'll just chalk it up to cultural sort of uh, influence. But I think we read particularly this first one, uh, right? So knocking on the door in the middle of the night, and then Jesus sort of draws out the conclusion, ask, keep on asking, seek, keep on seeking, knock, keep on knocking. And what we hear is a how-to manual. Ah, yes, persistence. I got it. If I just do this persistently, that is the way sort of into God hearing me and, and uh, you know, I'll at least be doing my end of the deal right. But, but I, I want to suggest to you uh, this morning that that's not quite what's happening here. In fact, the emphasis, the persistence is where we land, and yes, that's there, but the emphasis is really around another sort of social construct, and it's shame. Right, he says the shamefulness of, of sort of coming in the middle of the night, that culturally this is not acceptable, right? Why, like you, you can't be coming at this time asking for these things. There's also shame at play on the part of the, the, the guys waking up because there are hospitality sort of expectations and should he meet this guy's need. And uh, more than sort of the persistence of the knocking is the, 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 what's happening around sort of questions of is this even appropriate? In, in, impudence is the word uh, that was used. This morning, I, I remember feeling this when my children were, were newborn, 
Uh, and uh, we, we were living in an apartment, and uh, we, we had an emergency in the night and uh, needed to get to the hospital, but I had, like, newborns. And uh, just so happened, some parents of friends of mine, uh, childhood friends of mine, also lived in this sort of same building of apartments. So I remember running over and, like, you know, I called my parents. They're coming, but they can't be here now. We got to go, like, in the middle of the night, like, please come sit with my children. And uh, I didn't really think about social customs and norms, right? I mean, I did for a minute, but then I was, like, I was desperate. I just, right? Uh, not that I was necessarily persistent, but I overcame whatever shame I might feel in that moment uh, because of sort of the gravity of the need as I felt it. And I think sometimes we, uh, you know, if, if we want to emphasize that sort of the ingredient in prayer is our persistence. If I just sort of keep on asking, if I just keep on asking, what we want, what one author's put is we want like a technology of prayer, right? Just give me sort of the nuts and bolts. I'll kind of know how it works and uh, I'll be good. But uh, that's not what Jesus does here. Jesus actually, uh, yes, that's a part of it. Right, but but he takes us a little further, sort of again. Just thinking about shame, a uh, Scottish preacher, eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. His name is Alexander White, uh, has written actually about this passage, and this is what he says talking about shame. He says, you know, uh, he kind of role playing. Think shame, the man cried out, who had been wakened from sleep. Think shame, right? Shame on you. The disturbed neighbors cry out at this person in Jesus' story. Hold your peace, they say. Let honest men's, leave honest men's doors alone in the middle of the night. But Jesus says, never mind. Never mind all that. Never mind. Knock on. It's okay. Don't, don't worry about all that. I've been in your place, he says. You keep knocking. Just knock on. I'll stand here with you. Again, around the question of shame, maybe you bring your own sort of needs of faulty or not faulty, but the sort of the ups and downs expectations or uh, things that you've tried that haven't worked. And, and you bring all of that into sort of questions about the future. And, and uh, again, he goes, oh, that preacher, a Scottish preacher, you know, what a, maybe you come into this conversation. What a shameless wretch I am right? to ask such things. To have to ask such things at this moment in my life, perhaps at this age, I ought to know better. To knock so loud or it ought to be different for me. To knock so loud after the way I've neglected prayer and neglected and forgotten the hearer of prayer. At my age, he says, you'll number your days and you'll blush with shame. At my age, and I'm only beginning to pray in earnest. And yet the response to that, Jesus says, it's okay. You can keep knocking. You're still welcome here. There's no shame in this interaction for you. Maybe the shameful things, Alexander White writes, that you have to ask for, the things that you keep hidden, the disgraceful, sort of the incredible things you have to admit or confess about the life you have lived. Jesus looks at you and says, it's okay, knock for the love of God, Alexander writes, knock. And I don't know if he intended it, but it, it feels that sort of, uh, sort of relief, but literally because of the love of God. There's no shame in your knocking and asking for help. But here's the deal. I think we live here. We think it's our persistence, or maybe if I can sort of do it the right way. But what Jesus does with these stories is this really the story of prayer is not about your performance of prayer. In this case, it's about God's posture toward you. Right? That, that what, what Jesus is doing here in this moment in telling these two stories is, is, suggest, is suggesting to his disciples that, listen, your life with me on the road happens in a world in which now you can always approach the Father. 
There is no shame in your approaching the Father with whatever and whenever you may carry in your heart and life, whatever you may be ashamed of or whatever may not be working in your life. There is no shame, Jesus says. He's, he's trying to broaden their view that prayer doesn't rely on their persistence. Instead, to help them see prayer happens in the context of a God who is attentive, regardless of what the circumstances and the ups and downs of future hopes may be at the moment conveying to you that Jesus is helping them to understand, to view their world, uh, the context in which all of their aches and longings, as uh, even Kristen talked about, things we pray for, we remember what is true. Jesus in this moment is pushing against, recognizing that there, there are all sorts of spaces in the world and ways in the world that are kind of contrary to this view. Religiously speaking, God may be distant if he's there at all, right? Our sort of uh, tendency is to think, well, I have to sort of get my ducks in a row and then, and Jesus pushing us all these things. No, there's no shame. You just come because the context of this conversation is that on the other end is a God who is bent uh, in mercy toward you. There is no shame in your knocking and asking. I uh, want one space of this in my life. Uh, I have children who are now nine, and we love you in the church, and they love you in the church, but they don't always love you after church when they're ready to go to lunch, right? Uh, there's no hard feelings, nothing personal. Maybe it's personal sometimes for them. I don't know, but uh, frequently, right, we're visiting with you, and, and we're, you know, I'm enjoying conversation with you, and, and one of my children will just, it doesn't matter what is happening, just like insert herself in the middle, like, when are we leaving, right? right? Like, well, I'm is it time to go? Or uh, I'm hungry, <laughs> right? Like, what, I, I don't, you know, I'd love to tell you that in that moment, uh, like the image we get of the Father, I say, there's no wrong time for you to ask me those questions, lovely. You can come at me anytime you want with those questions. Uh, can you excuse me a moment? Yes, dear, I love you, right? You always have my ear. That never happens. I say, no, right? Like, this, th this is not the moment and the place for that question, wait right? I try to do all that while you're not looking at me, but uh, that does happen at some point, right? And then later I go back and be like, we love you, you know, all those things, but I'm sorry, you know, uh, right? What Jesus is, is trying to help uh, his disciples understand is that is never the Father's reaction. Uh, this sermon on prayer does not answer all the tensions we feel in prayer, why we have to pray the same prayers over and over again, for instance why some of the things we ask for seem to go unresolved. But what it does do is remind us of the truth that even in the repetition, there is no shame in asking. That God is attentive to your ache and hurt. God is attentive. God is inclined toward you. And he will never say, not right now. Just my attention is elsewhere, <laughs> right? Uh, this is not the moment and the place for that conversation, which is what makes the landing of this passage so beautiful to me, right? So we get this portrait of sort of shame and Jesus trying to tell the disciples, there's no shame in you asking the father. He is the father and right, like all of that. Let, let me, let me, rather than give you the mechanics of prayer, let me just tell you, you're caught up in the performance and the how-tos. Let me just tell you, however you utter the words, this is, this is the context in which they fall and that is not yours to carry. Right? It's, not, it's not your persistence that makes the difference in prayer, Jesus says. It is the attentiveness of your Father in heaven. Which makes where he lands so beautiful as we close. 
Uh, you, know, what, you know, who would give? If a kid comes asking, who would give? And then he lands with this promise in verse 13. If then you who are evil, so he's arguing from the lesser to the greater, if you who are all the time sort of shunning your children, <laughs> right, who are hungry, uh, uh, if you uh, who, who sort of are evil and still can sort of manage a good gift, how much more will your heavenly father do the same for you? But then he ties it specifically to the gift of the Holy Spirit. That what he tells his disciples at this moment is the promise of his continued presence with them. That in the midst of, of sort of all of their aspirations and hopes about what life on the road with Jesus will look like, whatever you may be carrying into that conversation, Jesus says to them the promise that he extends to them in the context of prayer is that his Holy Spirit is with them. It is not your performance or persistence in this instance, Jesus says, that makes the difference. I want you to know the context in which you bring whatever it is you bring is that of a father in heaven who is inclined, who is leaning into the conversation with you. I thought of those moments in my own life, maybe you've had them, or in the lives of my children, when what they need or want uh, is just my undistracted presence. When something in their life is broken, and there are tears, and there is pain, and there is grief, Yes, they want me to fix it, just as we want all sorts of things fixed in our lives. But there is something in that moment that wants to kind of, I remember moments where they kind of come up and like, I'm just going to pull the book down or push the phone out of the way, grab the cheeks, look at me, right? They just want, what they need, what they want in that moment is, is the attentiveness of undistracted presence. And it's interesting to me that in this passage on prayer, that is what Jesus promises in the Holy Spirit. That in the midst of all our asking and all the, all the frustrations in that asking. He, he gives us the gift and the promise that he will be with us. I want to invite you guys to stand with me. We're going to close with one final song and then be dismissed with the benediction. I'd like to pray for us before we sing. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, we're thankful. I'm thankful, God, I'm thankful that the sort of responsibility, the effectiveness of prayer does not rest on my fluctuating attentions and abilities and persistence, even on my awkward relationship with shame and asking for help, all those things. And Jesus, I'm thankful for the promise that it rests with you, what you have done for us. You are with us, Jesus. You come alongside us because of what you have done. You draw us into your own relationship to the Father. And because of what you have done, we pray in a world, our best prayers and our worst, we pray to a Father who is inclined towards us. And so I pray for my friends here this morning, wherever we may be in relationship to that experience. God, perhaps frustrated, frustrated and in pain over the repeated prayers of our lives that seem to be unheard. Perhaps on the highs of, of anticipations of the future or maybe uh, on the lows, God, wherever we are in that journey, surprised, God, about what is coming for all kinds of reasons. Would you, in your grace, meet us there, lift us up, remind us through your Holy Spirit that you are with us. Pray these things in Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, 
visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.